everybody, this is Eric Krasno, and you are listening to the Plus One Podcast. I want to thank everybody that's been tuning in and sending me messages. We're on Instagram, Kras Plus One. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E. You can hit me up on Gmail, Kras Plus One at gmail.com. It's the same spelling there. I've been enjoying reading all your comments, all your suggestions. And yeah, we have a lot of really cool guests coming up on the show over the next few weeks and months. And we've had some incredible conversations. And I just want to say thanks to everybody that supported the show, to everybody that's been on the show, especially the team at Osiris Media. And again, you can always check out their other content at OsirisPod.com. They've got a lot of great shows. And it's just been a really amazing learning experience for me, mainly learning from all these artists. I get to ask all these questions and absorb some of their music knowledge and their knowledge on life in general. And my guest today plays an important role in my music development. And uh, it's one of the first bands that I ever saw actually live. I think I was 12 years old when my brother brought me to a Grateful Dead concert. And I remember also seeing them again the next year when I was 13. That was at Brendan Byrne Arena. Um, it was 10-16-89, which is a well-known show. Um, they played Dark Star that night for the first time in a long time as the Grateful Dead. I think they had played it previously as the Warlocks on a secret show or something like that. But if Amongst the deadheads out there, uh, they probably know that show. That was a highly circulated tape. So I got to say as a kid, oh, I was at that show. And I actually got to go backstage at the show um, at 13 years old with my older brother who had some connections to get us back there. And I got to like high five the band. I've always told that story um, various times throughout my life. Of course, once I started getting serious about playing music, I kind of went down the rabbit hole on jazz music and funk music because I was introduced to a lot of that through the Grateful Dead. You know, my dad also played a lot of jazz records and he was into so much different music, but the Grateful Dead was kind of something that uh, I gravitated towards because of the community um, and just had all these friends that would go to shows. And um, if you listen to the John Mayer episode, you hear us talk about trading it was like trading baseball cards it's like if you went to this show you saw this version of of this song and every night you were like are they gonna bust this out are they gonna do this are they gonna do that um and that kind of mentality of changing the show every night really birthed what became the jam band uh phenomenon or community and many of us don't love that name um but that concept of changing the show every night was something that was uniquely the Grateful Dead. They kind of helped invent touring as a whole, as we know it. Um, they were touring with massive sound systems and playing these big shows, and their crew was as important to the experience as the band. Um, and the sound and the lights, it was all about creating a unique experience every night. Very different from, from pop shows. You know, you see a pop concert and a lot of times they're just fine-tuning um, different versions of the same thing over, over a long period of time. And with The Grateful Dead, it was about being a part of the improvisation and being a part of it. And as, the, as Jerry said, um, we just want to give it away. A lot of people 
would ask, why do you give away your live tapes and your live recordings? And he said, well, once we're once we've done it, we're done with it. I'm paraphrasing there. But he wanted everyone to be able to enjoy what they did. And he didn't want to hold it too precious because he wanted to give another crack at it the next night. Um, And that has influenced me and so many other musicians. So getting to play with Phil Lesh for me was kind of a full circle, um, which happened about, you know, 20 years after seeing them, maybe even 25 years later. Uh, in the early 2000s, I linked up with Phil Lesh. Actually, in the er- in the early 2000s, Soul Live opened for Phil and Friends back when Jimmy Herring was in the band and uh, Warren Haynes and Rob Baracco and John Molo. That was called The Q. Um, and then fast forward to 2013, he actually asked me to play in The Q to basically sub for Jimmy Herring, who was out with Widespread Panic. But previous to that, uh, I was asked to play with Phil Lesh as part of a secret show with Joe Russo that took place at Central Park during uh, an event called Jazz in Colors that was put together by Pete Shapiro of the Brooklyn Bowl and Relics and all of that. And uh, without ever really talking to Phil or playing with Phil, we showed up to that. It was arranged uh, by Pete and his team. And we had amplifiers with no electricity, all battery powered. And we just showed up um, to an outdoor little concert area in Central Park with no announcement and just started playing. And the word spread and I think people tweeted it. I think Relics tweeted it and some other people. And next thing you know, there was a crowd of people in the middle of Central Park and we were playing through these little speakers and it was Joe Russo and Phil and I. You can actually find that on YouTube if you search it. And we sparked a rapport right there. Uh, I'd listened to him so much in my life that playing with him was a little surreal at first, Um, but it was unlike any other bass player that I've ever played with because he listened to everything I was doing and reacted to everything that I was doing in a way like no other. And the way that he was able to weave in and out um, of the chord changes without even preparing any music uh, was very, very cool. And we instantly sparked a friendship. And I think that night he invited me to come play with the Terrapin Family Band, which is also where I met Graham Lesh. And he and I instantly connected. So, and then over the years, I got to play with Phil in so many different formats with Chris Robinson, with um, our dear friend Neil Casal, and quite a bit with Graham Lesh, Ross James, and the Terrapin Family Band. And this particular interview you're going to hear today was actually recorded in the summer of 2018, where we were doing a run of shows. We played the Capitol Theater. Uh, We played Central Park, which is actually where this interview took place. And right after this, we actually put together a concert where I helped uh, arrange the guests um, and helped be, I guess, quote unquote, musical director on this show that took place at the Apollo Theater where we had Talib Kweli, who was someone I'd worked with for almost 20 years in hip-hop music. And then we also had the Harlem Gospel Choir on stage with us. And we just did some incredible music that night. And I got to be a part of it, but it was also just as a fan watching those different worlds work together. We also had Robert Randolph, Nikki Bloom, 
and uh, a few other great musicians. But hearing uh, the Terrapin Family Band and Phil Lesh play Get By, which is like this classic song by Talib Kweli with the gospel choir singing the chorus, I just remember that moment being like, oh my God, you know, so much music that I grew up on converging into its own thing and introducing Talib Kweli to Phil Lesh was such a cool moment for me. Um, anyway, so I want to thank Pete Shapiro for giving me that opportunity and thank Phil for trusting me in that situation to kind of be able to pull in these different artists that he maybe wasn't completely aware of, but instantly became a fan of from that experience. We also talk a bit about Phil and Graham's father and son connection, the passing down of the music and the passing of the torch to a certain degree when they created the Terrapin Family Band. We also talk about Graham as a songwriter in his band Midnight North and how he kind of used the Terrapin Crossroads, which is the venue which Phil and his family created as a springboard for different projects, different ideas, and trying out different songs. Phil also talks a bit about how Levon Helm and his barn in uh, Woodstock, New York, inspired the whole idea of Terrapin Crossroads. I'd like to give a shout out to Relics Magazine, who originally helped out with this episode, and also Jesse Lauder, who produced and recorded it way back in 2018. Before we get into the interview, I'd like to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. I, I find it really, really fascinating playing with the two of you guys together. Uh-huh. It's been such an incredible experience for me and i think we'll get we'll get into that i want to start a little bit with uh asking you phil a little bit about your origins in in music and i know you've probably been asked that question a lot yeah yeah um, it's all in my book eric you know. i know i know and i which Tell i've read which i've book. read actually i listened to the audio book with you uh reading yeah. it which was even better. that's a bridge oh is it yes. yeah they, they a lot of them are especially in like memoirs like that ah, but, i see but uh so you don't get you can't get the full experience from the well. I've gotten book. some pretty cool experiences just being around and, and asking some questions, <laughs> which is why uh, I I was uh, happy that you were willing to do this. Um, but I guess you know one of the really fascinating things for me is that that you picked up the bass, um, you know, kind of right as you were joining the band, right? Yeah, I mean that that was my that was my my brief and that was my job. Right. Garcia just told me, hey, I want you to come play the bass in this band. I, I know you can do it. You're a right. musician. You, right. know, you can pick it up real quick. It's not that difficult. And you, you know? guys were friends before that, and he just he really respected you as a musician, and he just for was, some reason, but yeah. we had never played together right before. Okay, before before I jo- actually joined the band, but I had always wanted to play with him. But I was into composition, classical composition, and, right. and, and jazz. Right, you know, and we were kind of in two different genres of music, and I. Right. You know, it, it just felt like it would never happen, you know? Right, <laughs> then, right, right. Then the, then, then the walls caved in, you know? Or, right, right. And you played some. You played trumpet at that time, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, and you did some composition. You studied composition, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So picking up the bass, was that pretty natural for you? Uh, well, I had played violin before, okay. so there, I, had a, I had a sort of a handle on it a little bit, you know, four, four strings, you know? And, you know... A lot of people talk about your approach as a very unique. In fact, I don't know if there's anyone else that plays in your style. And do I you, don't know that there is either. Yeah, and do you, was that a conscious thing, or did that just is that just where you where you 
when you picked up well, the instrument, I, where I, you I, went? I, I just knew I did because I, 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 I had been, I'd been listening to some rock music right dur- during the period before uh, Jerry invited me to join the band, and uh, uh, you know I, I, the, the instrument was fascinating, but the role it played was uh, it was to me it was like totally boring. Right, right. You know? So I, all, all I knew was that I didn't want to I didn't want to play that kind of bass. Right, right. So uh, I, bas- I, I basically I, I I wanted to make it an independent melodic line. Right. Uh, you know, tying the chords together rather than just playing the roots and sitting in the pocket. And uh, I, I could I'd have to say that the inspiration really for it was uh, Bach. Interesting. Yeah, the, the Bach's bass lines, Brahms' bass lines. And was that from from mainly that, that's from that, all my studies of classical music? Yeah, interesting. And you were in school. Where did you study? Uh, well, it was just kind of a little checkered career. Yeah. I, I, I started out in uh, at College of San Mateo in uh, in the the uh, the uh, jazz band there, and I studied harmony and, and a, a, a little counterpoint there in orchestration. And then uh, I went to Berkeley, but I, I, uh, I didn't last more than a semester there. And there was too much other shit I had to do that wasn't music. So, you know. gotcha. but I, I, I uh, through the good graces of Tom Constantin, who, who was already involved in it, uh, I, got, I, I got into a, a graduate level composition course at Mills College with Luciano Berrio, uh, who was like, at that time, like one of the the uh, like the, the top three uh, uh, avant-garde composers in, from Europe. He was, they, they, they had the German Stockhausen, they had the Frenchman Boulez, and they had the Italian Berio. And he he came to Mills like every other year for like five years. Ah, okay. And uh, so I got I got into that. Wow. You know, I, I took him one of my pieces that I'd written, and he, he let me in the course. And so, uh, you know, we, I learned a lot from him by osmosis. Kind of. Ah, interesting. That yeah. actually explains a lot with the, your compositional style, even with the yeah. Band, it, it, it was it was a lot of it was. Uh, if if I listen back to it now, I'd have to say it was ugly. You know? <laughs> and uh, eventually, eventually, I, I kind of abandoned that abandoned composition completely, but also that desire to to make it uh, new and just pre- referential only to itself, because that music that uh. music basically doesn't it only refers to itself. It doesn't refer to. I mean, there's no tonal center. There's no there's no there's no real tension and release, because there's no there's right. no fundamental tone that 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 underlies it all. So and uh, that was uh, it. Just didn't touch me. It was it was really cool because because I could just I could write down anything I wanted. And I could I could you know I, I could I could I could write anything I could think of. And it was this for orchestra. Or yeah, what yeah, was the kind yeah. Of, my my, you, my big thing was a piece for four orchestras, four smaller orchestras. Or, wow. Around the. Did you get to actually hall. hear that? In, no. <laughs> Come on. Uh, can you, you imagine how much it would have cost? No. Compositions? No. no. Well, yeah, there, there was uh, there was one silly thing that uh, we did. We did a thing at the Meme Troupe in San Francisco. Steve Reich was in my class. You, okay. you heard of Steve Reich? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, Steve and TC and I uh, did a did a, like a concert of new music, and I, I I wrote this stupid thing. You know, it was it, I you know it, there wasn't any th- thought put into it or anything. I just like threw it down on a paper, and uh, 
It was called Six and, Se- Six and Seven-Eighths for Bernardo Moreno. <laughs> okay. And my parents came to, came to the concert, and the first thing my mom said was, my goodness, Philip, I hope you're not hanging out with some pachuco. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what, did she, what did they think about Jerry uh, and uh, uh, Winston? Uh, uh, they didn't know what to think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but they were happy that I was doing something that I liked. That I loved. And when you guys first started, it was mostly covers and, and, and blues and stuff. Pigpen yeah. was mostly the, yeah, the yeah, front was, man. Pigpen was, was the front man. And yeah, it started out being an electric blues band. Right. It grew out of the jug band, um, um, Mother McCree's Uptown Jug Champions. The champions. So, nice. yeah. And, uh, and it started, it started being an electric blues band. And, uh, and so that one night in May, uh, 65, I think it was, we all, we all came down to, well, I was in San Francisco at the time, and we all came down to hear Garcia's new band, you know, Garcia Pigpen's new band. And then that was the night he yeah, sat me it. down. Was there a bass player already? At that oh yeah, point? yeah. He, <laughs> he was, lost his he job. He was the son night. of the guy that owned the music store where they rehearsed. Ah. And and and, and the the music store provided them with all their amplifiers. Yeah, those so. guys always get gigs, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but, uh, Jerry Smart. told me says we have to tell this guy what notes to play. You know. Right. So come on and help us out. Man. And was there was there a moment, kind of a defining moment? I'm sure there was a few, but. Where you kind of said, "Wow, this is something. We're making something new, right?" Yeah, now. yeah. At one point, at one point, we were working up Viola Lee Blues, and we did that, and we did this incredible thing at the end of it, and then like spontaneously, came crashing back down into the grooves. <laughs> and I said, after 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 we did that, I I, I I went up to Jerry and I said, somewhat naively, you know, I said, man. This could be art. I love that. Yeah, yeah. But it, I mean, it was a, it was a true learning experience. And was for that me. around the acid test kind of time? That, that was just before just the acid before test. that. And then would, did that kind of break the walls down once you? Oh yeah. yeah. Well, that, that that created the group mind. Yeah, right. And well, that's something that actually is is a great thing to touch on because. One thing that I've learned from from playing with you and and just and listening to all the music that that you're involved in um, is about group mind yeah. and group yeah. improvisation. I came from a school growing up where it was like you take a solo, you stop, someone else takes a solo. Yeah, yeah. and it took me a minute playing with you guys to kind of understand that it's not really about that. And when you get to a peak as a band collectively, it's a whole other. Yeah, Level. it's it, a whole it, other it mountain. It's a whole, I mean, in spite of all the great music that's been made by in that format, right? You know that the, the collective thing is is uh, when it really when it happens. Yeah, you know, and it's harder to make happen. Right. The head solo, 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 back to the head format. But when it clicks, man, it is transcendental. Absolutely, and uh, you know, I I, I always think of the dead playing these massive shows you know that's all the videos i've seen the shows that i got to go to how were you, how many years were you guys like banging it out in the clubs and you know was there was there was well, it kind of it kind of grew it kind of grew not not exponentially or logarithmic or anything it just kind of grew a little bit at a time right because all we really did was tour so we just we just built an audience gradually and gradually and then the big the big breakthrough was the uh, eighty seven with the uh, with the uh, in the dark album, yeah. And so then we had a hit 
Yeah. Off, yeah. Of, <laughs> off of that, off of that uh, record, and uh, then all the mainstream people started coming in. You know, in the recent years, there's been a lot of different bands, you know, that have covered the music and and have been playing the music. And I'm I'm curious your thoughts on, you know, I, I feel like you know you guys have created somewhat of like in jazz they call it the real book. And the you know there's the dead book and yeah. there's these songs and the kind of these vessels that people have taken all these different directions. What do you have? What are your thoughts on on that? Oh, I, I absolutely love it. I mean, all it's uh, songs are like fairy tales. All versions are true, and, and we try to mix up the songs as well as much as we can. And the more the more of that, I mean, the songs now they kind of the the. the the product of Grateful Dead has now has now sort of taken on a life of its own. It really has. And I, you know, I, I can predict that they'll still be playing these songs in a hundred years. I can say that for sure. I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are so many bands out there doing it. Yeah. And one of the things that really uh, uh, inspires me is the fact that everybody loves to play these songs. That's true. All these all these bands, the musicians, they love to play these songs. Yeah, even even uh, even like more mainstream guys or even jazz guys who who come in and play this music I, I i i i can't tell you how many of them i've had say to me oh i never knew i had no idea how great these songs were you know i've had talks with people like john Schofield and branford marsalis and all these guys yeah. about grateful dead music and all of them well, the, the funny thing is that sometimes people don't realize how challenging the music can be, too. Yeah. You know, these yeah. jazz these jazz giants are, are yeah. struggling to get the parts right. And uh, I find that really interesting. Yeah, um, maybe, maybe it's it, a lot of them. It's the simplicity of the song right. that is is uh, is as, as challenging as, as the complicated parts. You know? It's true. It's true. Please stick around. We'll be right back after this short break. So, um, Graham, when when did you start playing? I'm curious of like, was was this something that you saw your, you saw your dad playing and, and you were like, I want to do that, or did it naturally kind of? No, it was come? it was a different kind of a thing where, um, I mean, the music was always around us, but it wasn't something I was like, oh, I want to do that. You know, we were just running around as little kids, wanting to be like baseball players and stuff, mm-hmm. and then we were told basically we have to take piano lessons and it was like another class in school we have to, you get your math education you get your you know english education and you get your musical education and so it kind of my whole musical career grew out of that um and you know i took piano lessons for seven eight years and stopped doing that and took a couple guitar lessons and didn't particularly like the lessons and stopped doing that and then picked up guitar on my own in high school and then that that was the fun part, right? You know, then you can play with other people. You meet other, you know, friends that you didn't know were musicians. Start jamming with them, and I think in that way it wasn't a structured guitar education, at least. Mm-hmm. But I had the foundation of all the music theory and all the piano lessons that I'd taken, and I think learning piano is very useful for having a like a view of 
how the notes Absolutely. relate to each other and all the modes and all the keys and everything like that. And then from there, it's just guitar is a physical thing, which it probably was with bass for you. You knew what you wanted to do, and then it's just getting the physical practice, motions down practice, to make practice, what practice. is in your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Getting but Having that, that foundation, and then it's just kind of learning, yeah. learning these physical things. And did you, were you learning Grateful Dead songs at that age, and or were you writing? Not you were, really. Because you've been writing songs for a while, right? That was I have. My brother was writing songs a lot long before me, and he's younger. Um, but yeah, I was, I was messing around with, with songs. It was mostly like riffs, and then I'd, you know, be working with other other friends who would be the singers or the, you know, the the lyricists more. Um, but I was learning like Metallica riffs and yeah, me hard too. rock stuff. <laughs> yeah, <see>, we <laughs> talked about this. Yeah. You know, I wasn't necessarily learning Grateful Dead stuff, but um, I was learning. I, I listened to a lot of Warren. Yeah. Um, right as this was all happening, Phil Lesh and Friends was sort of really getting into a groove um with the the cube right, right. which you, is with warren haynes yeah warren haynes jimmy, jimmy herring rob baracco and john molo and so i started listening to all of like warren and jimmy's past stuff because and that got me into the allman brothers and that got me into government mule and all these other guitar rock yep. styles that weren't necessarily grateful dead and it also got me into grateful dead songs but not like the Grateful Dead did them, oh, you know. Yeah. I'm listening to the Q do Saint Stephen, and it they're putting like Good Times, Bad Times and by Brothers Zeppelin and, and like and, yeah. and like Mountain Jam yeah, yeah. in the middle of it, and it's totally different than the Grateful Dead ever did it. Um, so I, you know, despite me being around the Grateful Dead and literally going to hundreds of Grateful Dead shows before I was eight years old. I still had this very unique way of oh, learning the music on guitar, at least. And was Phil and, when Phil and Friends was was forming, was your intention to kind of have one band, or did you all along want things to change? And well, I, I started out, you know, wanting to have the, the revolving door thing, right? But the, but then when when the, when the Q got together, I mean, we did we did some stuff just in rehearsal. It was kind of like what happened with Viola Lee Blues, and we 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 finish up, and everybody's looking around and saying, "What was that? What was that?" <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I, I I kept that going for a good you know good three four years. Yeah, I don't know if you remember, but Soul Live opened for the Q a couple times, way way long ago. Oh yeah, like Toronto and Buffalo, and I remember sitting there, and I had I had seen the Grateful Dead, but I had never seen Phil and Friends, and I had. I was a Jimmy Herring fan from ARU, oh, so yeah. I was just there, like <laughs> melting, you know, <laughs> yeah. watching yeah, him and Warren go. That was, was a great line. Really, really great, really great. I'm um, hoping to, I'm hoping to maybe get get that back together. Yeah, maybe I, next I year. I hope so too. Yeah. Just uh, for a couple of shows. Yeah, it's it's always still the same. Whenever you do play, it's it was like every couple of years for a while. Yeah, and it'd be like. I don't know. Molo would yeah. be like, I don't know. It's like, do we remember these songs? And then like they get on stage and it'd be the best yeah. thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. It'd, it'd, be, it'd just be a race car again, you know? <laughs> so when did you, Graham, when did you start? Um, I guess, well, is what you had, uh, what was your first band? I jammed with some friends in high school, one of whom is actually an amazing guitar player. It's dude, Ryan Lerman. Okay. Um, who's been in John Legend's band? He's been in Michael oh, Bublé's okay. band. He's been in Ben Fold's band as a bass player. He's been in 
I think now he's he's got this band, Scary Pockets. Um, oh yeah, I've, I've yeah, heard they're of like yeah. funk band with the the dude Jack from Pomplamoose, who also was went to my high school. Oh right. Um, yeah, so you know, I jam with. We didn't never had a name or anything. We'd play like, you know, talent shows and you know assemblies and stuff like that, and just sort of hang out in our basement and jam. Um, I had a couple bands in college. One of them uh, called Maiden Lane survived college, and we played for a few years in San Francisco. Uh, actually, opened for Further at the Fox one time. Cool. Um, and then that band sort of. You know, everyone moves and goes away and sort of slowly morphed into Midnight North. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, me and our drummer were our original drummer were the two holdovers from both bands. Gotcha. And um, but then, you know, oh, while this is all happening, Phil and Friends is going on, Further's going on. Um, and then Further sort of starts seeming like it's going to slow down. And we do the we do the show at um, at the barn with Levon and yeah. Mamie and all them in 2010. And yep. that gives my folks the idea for Terrapin Crossroads. And so while this uh, is all happening, I'm doing that. Um, Brian and I are learning, my brother and I are learning more Grateful Dead songs. We're starting to all sing together and get those family harmonies going. Um, you know, learning I Know You Writer and the intricacies of, you know, all those harmonies and stuff I gotta like ask that. Phil really quick. What's yeah. that like? What was that like for you? <laughs> There, there are no words for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, can't, I, I can't miss that. Imagine. I miss that. Yeah. Terribly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we. I. I hope that I get to see that again. I mean, I. One of the first time I played with you guys, I think it was 2013. Yeah. And it was both you guys, and it was Terrapin Family Band. I remember feeling pretty uh, emotional. Yeah. Just watching you guys do that. Uh, yeah, so it was really cool. And Brian's Brian's a great musician. He's not doing it now, but he still writes us songs sometimes. He yeah. still writes songs and send them some to us, yeah. and we've played some of them. Um, is still Yeah, Gal- the- that's from before. That's an American okay. Jubilee song, oh, the band okay. he had with Ross and Coford. Um, yeah, Brian, Brian actually uh, composed uh, a part of the Terrapin Suite that wasn't oh. set by the Two Grateful Dead. Two parts. We haven't worked up the second one yet. Oh, and, we okay. have, and we still have, we've only worked up one of them. But I mean, it, it just yeah, Jack of so Roses. beautifully, right. Jack yeah. Roses. Yeah. So, when, so did Terrapin Family Band? Was that a? Did it really happen really organically, or were you thinking like, you know, I, I want to do something with my family, and you know, or well, well a I mean, bit it, of both? It's, it started with us playing Phil and Friends shows, the occasional gotcha. one. We did the one in 2010 at Levon's. I think it was Larry had just convinced you yeah. to do it, I guess, and we just sort of put together a family band. We knew that. Um, that Amy was in Levon's band and that it would be a cool thing. Um, and then we did it again the next year. And then in 2012, we opened Terrapin Crossroads. And for me, that's right when Midnight North was forming. So we sort of had this place to play yeah. that helped our development for sure. But at the same time, Terrapin Crossroads had all of this time to fill. And yeah. it was like, hey, let's try and get people into the restaurant. Like, Oh, Jackie's in town. Ross, you just play with Jackie over in the corner, basically, yeah. you know. Yeah. And before there was even a stage in the bar, it was yeah. just like that part of the bar, just like on that piece of floor. Yeah. Um, and you know, then you would come down and play with Jackie or Chris yeah. Robinson or or R- Ross and me or something, and that sort of slowly, at the end of 2012, morphed into me and. Brian and Ross and Alex Coford, who's like our cousin. He's like 
an old family friend just jamming with Scott Patton and we called it the Terrapin family band. And the idea was for it to be the house band Gotcha. Uh, at Terrapin. And it took, you know, a year, nine months or something for that to even turn into a band at all. Um, more than just like sort of jam sessions. Um, and then we decided to sort of take it on the road, right? Yeah. We didn't really do any Terrapin family it, it, gigs didn't it sort before. Of morph into American Jubilee first. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Brian and Ross and Alex were, yeah, and Scott Patton, the, our bass player at the time, had their own band of original music, American yeah, Jubilee, and then. And you that you guys opened for Phil and Friends a few times. I wasn't in American Jubilee. Oh, okay. yeah, they did. Although and you did sit in at Sullivan Hall with them, right? No, Sullivan Hall was the Terrapin Family Band. That was us. Oh, that was with you. Was I? Was I playing? <laughs> it all kind of oh. go. It all bleeds. So together. many gigs. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. few brain cells. <laughs> but yeah, so when those Sullivan Hall gigs are when we sort of took the Phil Lesh and the Terrapin Family Band is a different thing from the Terrapin Family Band. Right. Um, which now it's just the Terrapin family the band. Band. It's all the same. All but at the time it was, you know, we'd jam at home at Terrapin with Scott on bass and it'd just be the Terrapin family band. And then we'd go to New York and do Sullivan Hall and those boat shows, yeah. those shows on the... Oh, the, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, that was great. Yeah, the rocks, <laughs> yeah, the rocks off. And, um, and that would be Phil Esch and the Terrapin family band. So that's sort of... And you sat in with us at the bowl at one of those, yep. one of the last ones we did of those. So, Right, yeah. right. And uh, so are there, pl- I know that there's been some recording and hopefully there'll be an album someday. We're still sort of writing. I mean, you were <laughs> there for the writing I got session. To, I got to be there for some of the writing <laughs> yeah. and be a part of some of the writing, which was very cool. So I, I mean, we're, we kind of have a new lineup coming, not for this weekend at, at this show. That's but exciting. You never know if once we get everything sort of set up with that lineup, yeah. We just did a rehearsal with one of those new songs that we wrote. Great. And it with the new crew, new with Nathan drumming, it's great. It sounds pretty cool. And Nathan who also plays in Midnight North. Yes, Nathan and Graham. And so and Midnight North just recently released a live album, which yes. I just listened to actually this Ooh. morning, which was really and it sounds amazing by the cool. way. Cool. Thank who you. Who recorded that? Uh we just had our friend John Hart, uh, who works at oh, Terrapin. Yeah. He oh, he just put two twenty four track recorders and plugged them into the snake and um, and got a super raw, you know, it sounds great. Though. Thirty to forty track, and there's multi-track. a bunch of guests on there. Yep, Phil's on there. Yep, Bob Weir's on there. Yes, he is. Uh, Mahali and Ryan and from Ryan Twiddle. from Twiddle yeah. and the Horns too. Yeah, and the Horns is cool. Uh, it's our friends Michael Bello and Liz Larson um, on uh, sax and trombone, and then on trumpet is our keyboard player Alex Jordan's dad Jay, oh, um, okay. who's. Yeah, so it was even more of a family yeah. family wow, show. It really is. But yeah, it was a, it was a fun night, and um, you know we recorded the whole thing, and um, we had big plans to put out like a six uh, you know LP set or something, you know, like right. however many vinyl records it would take to fit all that music on. Yeah, um, you know, at twenty. Are you going to do side. vinyl or is it just digital? Uh, right now? It's just CD and digital. Okay, but yeah. So what we did is instead because that would take forever. Uh, okay, I'm where, I'm where can I? Uh, where can I get a copy of that? Yeah, how do uh, in uh, dot com. No, um, <laughs> or your favorite streaming site yeah. uh, if you want to. I did Spotify. I'm yeah, if you want to pay us half a cent per stream. But I yeah, want no, the, when you have the I vinyl, I'll more. buy the vinyl. Yeah, or I'll yeah. buy the CD. The vinyl's great. Um, uh, but yeah, and, and it's, it's recorded at the Great American Music Hall. Yep. It, the album is called Selections from the Great American Music Hall. We have The Music Never Stopped with 
you and Bob on it. Right. Um, we've got only a river from Bob's new record yeah, with us backing great, him up, way, yeah. which is like one of my favorite songs. Yeah. It's so good. And I, Elliot and I just loved singing those harmonies with yeah, Bob. That was are. so and Elliot cool. Elliot's great on music. Never stops. Yeah. Yeah. That. Um, so yeah, it's just a, you know, we did a, we put a, one of the twiddle songs on there that Mahali led and then a bunch of ours with the I have horns. to also say one of my favorite sets that I've been a part of in a while was I got to, when I sat in with you guys doing the Crosby Stills and Nash night. Yeah. CSNY, I should say. And that's such a cool thing about Terrapin that I wanted to add is that it's this playground where you guys can just try so many different things. And, you know, I've gotten to do some really, really cool stuff. I did a trio with Bobby Vega and Jay Lane. And actually, there was a, there was a moment there where Phil was on the side of the stage and you came up and played Curse Lifter yeah. <laughs> with me. And he was just nailing all this these really intricate parts. And I saw him just glowing over there. And I was like, yeah. That's what I do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, there's it's just uh, it's such a cool um it's so it's so amazing to have that place. Yeah, um, we're, we're it, pretty lucky. It's been it's it's been a it's been a game changer for me. That's for sure. And you get to stay at home. You get to go, yeah. go to bed. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's it's like a sandbox. Yeah, you can go in there and make anything you want. Though well, the the CSNY thing started oh yeah. here actually. That was uh, oh, that's right. That was the, the relics folks. Alive. It was a no. It was a oh, Brooklyn was, Bowl. Uh, Brooklyn is. Right. CSMY show actually, and then we finally brought it to Terrapin because my mom's a big. I mean, we're all big CSMY fans, but yeah. my mom especially was like, "You have to do it at Terrapin," and I was like, "Man, you guys kept trying to, the to make it happen." Like I've never heard. It was so good. Yeah. I'm a huge. My mom used to play me those records. My earliest records were. were yeah, those records. we just had it's this idea to do "Sweet Judy Blue Eyes" as a rock song. Yeah, you know, because it kind of is, but they don't have drums except yeah. in the one. I mean, it's a suite, right? It's four songs in one, yeah. but uh, it's the the second song has the drums and the rest of it doesn't it's like a little percussion but mostly just stills doing his like yeah. open tuning yeah. acoustic guitar like as if it was a percussion instrument um but that yeah we did that once and then we we're like we should like see if we could do it like learn a few more and do a night and then the brooklyn bowl and relics i think it was brad was just like you have to do that yeah. now. So it's a good idea. Yeah. Sometimes those guys they get good ideas. Yeah, they get good yeah. ideas. Sometimes we don't get some pretty good ideas. Them down, but and we, uh, yeah, then we can bring it to Terrapin, and it, yeah, it was kind of it fit right in our vibe to have this yeah. East Coast playground as well. Yeah. And that's uh, another thing I want to add about the family band too is like there's so many different voices, and especially now with Nikki, but also Ross kind of brings a whole different energy, and having the Kof having Coford being able to sing, it's really a uh, uh, cool thing, cool experience for me to come in and be a part of that. And, uh, you know, there's all these different kind of moments in the show where different people kind of bring their thing to it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it comes back to like you were talking about all the different people playing Grateful Dead music now. Yeah. Like, no one's going to sound like the Grateful Dead. Or in even the Grateful Dead didn't sound like the Grateful Dead all the time, <laughs> or like they had yeah. before. Yeah, as they go, you know, they go through the years. So we just like to bring our own thing to it. Ross sounds cool. different than anybody else who's That's done true. it, and Coford doesn't sing like anybody else. And hopefully, I bring something unique. And it's yeah, absolutely, it's, it's a cool, it's a oh, cool yeah. thing. 
I don't know if there's anything else you guys want to add. Anything that's coming up that... Uh, Is there anything coming up for you? Anything coming up for me? Well, I get to play with you guys tonight oh, yeah. in Central <laughs> Park, which is one of the... And I'm really, really looking forward to the Apollo show. Yes. This will probably come out after that, but um, some incredible special guests that night and uh, oh, a yeah. special place and, and you know, being a part of, of Headcount because we need people to get out and vote and and help change this situation. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening, don't forget to get out and vote. Yes. Vote the bums out. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'd like to thank Phil and Graham Lesh for being on the show today. Always cool to hang out with them and play music with them. And I really, really hope that I can get back up to Terrapin Crossroads soon and play the great room again. We're going to go out on a song called Box of Rain, which was actually written by Phil Lesh and the great Robert Hunter, who we lost this past year. And it's the first song on one of the highest praised albums from the Grateful Dead, American Beauty.
Krasno Plus One is hosted by me, Eric Krasno. Executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Produced by myself and Ben Baruch of 1111 Group. All original music is by me, and most of which are instrumentals from my album, Telescope, under the artist name Kras. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email Kraz plus one at Gmail. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com. Send me some questions. Maybe I'll answer them on air. Send me suggestions of other guests you'd like to hear on the show. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.